wishes for 2021 from the Back in Business team. And welcome to the podcast. I'm business journalist, broadcaster and podcaster, Mickey Clark. And I'm small business journalist, Liz Barkley. And we'll be talking about 2021 today. Now, you probably predicted that. Uh, we'll be thinking about what the year holds for small businesses and self-employed people, what the economy will look like and how we will rebuild as we come back out into the light. Amen. Um, since we left you in the middle of December, the vaccine has started its rollout and we finally completed Brexit. So what next? We have three quest, uh, guests joining us today. Um, they are. Ah, they are. Yes, absolutely. Um, I will tell you very, very shortly who they are. I was just going to ask you, Mickey, though, when I left you, uh, the, the roads into Kent were flowing freely. <laughs> yeah. uh, over Christmas, though, uh, when we weren't speaking, there were huge queues on the main roads uh, and some of the side roads as well. I know you weren't breaking the rules, so you went out and about and caught up in a jam. But have you got an idea of what really was going on? Um, I, I think there was a there was a, a, a log jam as much as anything. It's, it's all to do with sentiment and people do panic. Um, there was certainly a build up of trucks just up the road here at Manston. I think in the end, someone was talking about six to 7,000. Um, but as far as I can work out, it, it all went inordinately smoothly. Um, the, they were using Manston in the end to get the truckers injected, inoculated. Um, and then they were moving on to Dover up the road, about what, 10 miles away. Um, and that all seemed to go smooth. I, I mean, I've heard stories about... Um, Businesses not having the paperwork, the French getting a bit testy with us over that. Um, drivers not allowed to take sandwiches into Holland and so on <laughs> and so forth. Um, but when you consider um, some of the speculation that was going on with the main news channels before Christmas, um, that was all so far wider the mark. And, you know, I think in fairness to a lot of people, the, the, the news agenda has got to stick with facts and stop speculation about things they know nothing about. We've been saying that for years, haven't we? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you know, give it balanced and give what you know, not what you think might happen, because as we know, you can get it horribly wrong. And I think in this case, um, they did. And of course, we've got the GDP figures out today, uh, not looking good, down at 2.6% in November. Why don't we just scrap them? Has Retail has really struggled as well over the Christmas period. Well, certain parts of retail have. I mean, if you're a supermarket, you've done bloody well. Um, if mm. you're a business that's got an online arm, such as Next, Marks and Spencer, you'll have done all right. You know, not too bad. Christmas was, it was a bit of a boon. And of course, people are using the online shopping now so that they don't have to mix physically with other people. Um, but I think that's the way it was moving anyway. It's like leaning against an open door. You, you know you're going in that direction. You might as well get a move on. But um, I, I think with this GDP number, it's nonsense. It's stating the blind and obvious. And why don't we reintroduce it when we start to come out of lockdown? <laughs> so we've got some idea of actually what's going on. Instead of telling me it's shrunk by 2.6%. It's meaningless. Well, it'll have shrunk by a lot more in December. Exactly, possibly. yeah. <laughs> 
Um, okay, but those are uh, those are not the only two big news stories this morning. There is a Supreme Court decision that has been announced this morning that says that the insurers should be paying out to small businesses who had what they thought was business interruption insurance. Uh, and so we will be talking about that because I want to get our guests uh, comment on that. In the meantime, our business editor, Declan Curry is here. Simon McVicker, our director of public affairs policy and communications are here. Um, and we're kicking off 2021. Uh, we will be keeping an eye on Brexit, of course, as the year goes through. We will be keeping an eye on GDP, despite what Mickey says. And what does Mickey want to? What does Mickey want to? What does Mickey want to replace it with? There are oh, economists please. that's. There are Nothing. economists that say you replace it with an index of happiness. Though in Mickey's case, it would That'd probably have to be an index of grumpiness. Hang on, Declan. Hang on. Don't get him started. <laughs> Don't get him started down that line. Uh, we'll ask Roger Barker, Dr. Roger Barker, who's an economist and one of our guests. We'll ask him about that. I'm not grumpy. Shortly. Um, Mystic McVicker. <laughs> <laughs> have you been reading have you been reading the political palms what's your predictions for 2021 no we can't hear you mickey uh, sorry simon we can't hear you that's the best way to have him <laughs> it's the most sense he's talked in years <laughs> i agree with every word now <laughs> <laughs> He is, he is laughing. Uh, Declan, while, while we try to find out why we can't hear Simon, what's your, what are your predictions for 2021? It's, it's divine intervention. That's why we can't hear from Simon. Um, we talked about GDP and the growth figures. This is going to be the year of recovery, though, as the Chancellor has warned us, it is going to get worse before it gets better. But the vaccine is... Uh, going to transform the situation and once that gets rolled out in significant numbers and so long as there isn't a new variation that is resistant to the vaccine then we will start to see the uh, economy uh, recovering though there's a poll of uh, economists uh, that the Reuters news agency is running uh, as we uh, speak today saying that the recovery probably going to be slower than a lot of people expect. They think it's two years before we get back to where we were uh, before the uh, crisis hit. Um, the second prediction for the year, I think, is uh, the nature of that recovery. There's going to be a lot of talk about building back better, having a more sustainable uh, recovery, investing in infrastructure. There are always constraints on that. It's an expensive thing to do. The Chancellor will be looking at the size of the government's overdraft and he'll be concerned about adding to that. But he should draw the lessons from the errors of the Cameron Osborne era, which has taught us that if you cut back on investment, uh, then to uh, repay the government debt, you actually weaken the economy and you make the debt higher for longer. So let's see if they've learned lessons from that. Expect as well a lot of talk about investing in climate and green energy and green technology, particularly as Britain has the chairmanship of the uh, that big climate uh, conference. And then the third thing, and this really um, uh, tends to what Mickey was saying there about which retailers did well and which ones did not. There are going to be big opportunities from the adoption of the best technology that's available and the development of new technology. So even for small businesses in retail, if you don't have an online presence, 
if you don't have an ability for your customers to buy online, you are going to suffer. Look at Premark. It's looking at a billion pounds in lost sales because it doesn't have a website. Whereas Next and JD Sport, which sells a lot through its website, have got through the pandemic in a much better situation. And we are seeing all sorts of uh, potential being unlocked by the technology that was used to create the coronavirus vaccine. For decades, we've been trying to find some sort of cure or mitigation for multiple sclerosis, MS. Research in the uh, journal Science this week suggests that we've taken a big step towards a vaccine, a treatment for MS, using the technology that was developed to create the COVID vaccine. There's a big, great era of biology ahead of us. Um, okay, that's a very optimistic note that you have uh, just posed, and I hope you're absolutely right on that. That would be terrific. Let me just bring in our three guests. Uh, we have Doug Henderson, who was MP for Newcastle upon Tyne North from uh, 1987 to 2010, and Shadow Trade and Industry Minister under Neil Kinnock. We have Dr. Roger Barker, who is the Director of Policy and Corporate Governance at the Institute of Directors, and Tracy Dawson, who is MD of Dale Tech Electronics in Pudsey Leeds, as a subcontractor supplying engineering skills to firms manufacturing electronic components such circuit boards. Um, Doug Henderson, just could you pick up first of all, before we come to your predictions, because we've asked all three of you to come up with your predictions. Um, talk, can you just uh, tell me what you think about that Supreme Court ruling this morning that says that small firms should now be able to claim against their insurers if they had a policy that included business interruption? Uh, I think the insurers tried to say, uh, they didn't mean a pan. Oh, we didn't mean in a pandemic. <laughs> the Supreme Court has said, "Oh yes, you did," uh, and that's what businesses thought they were paying for. What do you, how do you see this panning out? Well, I think it, I think the first point is it, it's good that the, that the court, the highest court in the land, um, has been able to stand up for the small person who's trying to earn a living in, in very difficult circumstances, and have given a an instruction to the insurance companies. I think the problem with the, and I haven't had a chance to read this yet, but um, the problem is that there are a lot of conditions, as I understand it, attached to the ruling. One of the conditions being that there must be um, a local infection before the insurance claim is validated. Now, um, what, the, what is the definition of a local infection? I mean, I think that's a territory where lawyers um, could spend a lot of energy and a lot of, and incur a lot of costs for their clients. So it is a welcome decision and it remains to be seen how quickly the payments will be made and, and what the level of payments are. It isn't something that's insured by very many um, small companies as far as I can understand. Um, the premiums are very high um, and often people think, well, it's better to carry the risk ourselves by putting a little money in the bank rather rather than investing in an insurance company. Um, but as you say, uh, you know, and, and sometimes I think that too, let me just put, uh, you know, a, a bit of money aside and self-insure, if you know what I mean. But yeah. in this crisis, most people will have spent that money. And the ones who were claiming, quite a lot of those will already gone bust. I think they have. When uh, I was reading articles about 
examples around the country in one of the trade journals, and it was quite clear that a lot of people have gone bust who were relying on this uh, kind of insurance. But it's a bit like medical insurance. A lot of medical insurance, you're better putting the money in the bank and then spending it if you want to pay for private insurance, for private health. Um, it's often cheaper doing that over, the, over a lifetime than it is paying big premiums to large insurance companies. And, and it's a bit like that also with the interruption insurance, I think. We didn't insure ourselves on that. Um, we, we're a company of um, about 30 people and um, we just carry our own risk on that and try to keep our own reserves. It's interesting, Doug, that the, the Supreme Court has backed up an earlier decision by the High Court, who found in favour of the small employees, in other words, the insured. Um, I got the impression that this was a churn business, that the insurance companies had come up with this as a way of generating more income, but didn't actually think through what it was they were offering. Um, it seems as though they're almost saying this is an act of, of God, therefore out of our control, we won't pay. Do you get that impression? Yeah, that was essentially what they put on court, um, which, which alienated and really annoyed um, the policyholders who thought that they'd, they'd put the money away for this kind of a eventuality and then they were told they weren't going to get paid out. Um, can Roger Barker, can you tell me what you think the long-term consequences of this might be? Uh, are we going to see the insurance sector, you know, is there going to, are there going to be mergers? Are there going to be firms struggling to pay out? I think, you know, this crisis has really thrown up, you know, the good guys of the crisis and the bad guys of the crisis. So rather like you in the banking crisis, obviously, the, the, it was the banks who were, who were persona non grata. But I think in this crisis, if, if the insurance sector, if it doesn't, if it's not careful, it could end up being seen as a real, really one, one of the bad guys. And, uh, you know, insurance is one of those products. It depends. It's, it's a tremendous tool of risk management, actually, for companies. But it depends on trust, doesn't it? You've got to have, rather like many other financial institutions, you've got to have confidence that these companies are, you know, are going to stay solvent. They're going to be liquid. And you, you've got to have trust that they will pay out when, they, when they're meant to pay out. If you don't have that trust, then people will just desert this product. Now, another sort of related point, it, earlier this week, we actually wrote to the new Secretary of State for Business, Kwasi Kwarteng, saying that our members had been noticing a very big increase in the cost of professional indemnity insurance and directors and officers insurance and, and, and some other business insurance products. And this is actually a big problem, um, particularly for those SMEs that are wanting to take place in public procurement contracts, because they generally define a minimum threshold in terms of, for example, professional indemnity insurance that you have to have in place before you can pitch for the for these public sector contracts. And, you know, a lot of therefore a lot of SMEs are being now being effectively priced out of these contracts because of the insurance cost. And we're talking about increases in insurance cost of maybe more than 100 percent over the course of the pandemic. So it, it you know, these two things coming together. I think they really pose questions for the insurance sector. You know, what, what role are you actually going to play in Britain building back better and, and recovering out of this crisis? Um, do you think... It's not, 
Oh, sorry, Mickey. Go ahead. I was going to say the what you've what you've outlined there, Roger, is 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 what we've seen in the past with other industries where they're ordered to pay back money, such as the banks, and then they take so long to do it. They spend so much time dragging their feet that in the end, a lot of the recipients have died or gone bust. Yes. Um, you know, it, should there be a time limit on this that if you've got it, you pay it out, you pay it out within the next year? Well, I think that there should be, you know, in these pandemic conditions, we, you know, if, the, if the, there may not be at the, at the moment, but that should be part of the emergency measures that we have in place. Because, I mean, the whole thrust of government policy during this pandemic has been to keep businesses alive, you know, throw them a lifeline, throw them a bridge so that they can just get from where we are now to to something vaguely approaching normality in the future and, and survive. And so it would be entirely consistent, I would argue, with government policy to do what you suggest, Mickey. Um, because these businesses, the small businesses, we keep saying, and the freelance employees, uh, sorry, freelance workers, these are the people who innovate, take risks, create jobs. And if we don't have them, we're not going to rebuild uh, our economy in the way that we'd like to see it rebuilt. Can I just ask Tracy Dawson? Now, Tracy, of course, you're MD of an electronics company. Did you have an insurance policy? And if so, did you claim on it uh, for the business interruption? We do have uh, business interruption insurance. And um, we talked about this. I have a great insurance broker and we talked about this and he, he suggested we just sat back and waited and waited for the ruling because if we can, we will be claiming under it. What sort of, what sort of money are you going to be claiming, do you think? What, what, what are you likely to get back? Uh, well, that's what I need to look at. I need to look at... We, we actually closed the whole of our manufacturing for six weeks. Um, and we've seen reduction, you know, like everybody else, we've seen a massive reduction in our uh, sales orders. Um, we've seen increases in purchasing costs. We've still got our overheads. Um, so we need to look at that as, an, as a whole and understand what we can claim through it. But it would certainly be extremely helpful to us uh, going forward, because I think, as Declan said, the recovery is not going to be quick. It's going to be a much more slow burn, unfortunately. Um, and, and I'm chair of the Manufacturing Alliance in, in the Lee City region, and most of the manufacturers that, that, that I'm aware of had periods where they either stopped manufacturing or it was very reduced. It was a much more reduced capacity. And, and, and we need this sort of assurance, I think you're quite right, about the trust going forward in business insurance because it would it will certainly I'll certainly question whether we ever look at business interruption insurance premiums again um, because you're quite right they're expensive and would we have been better putting the reserves leaving the reserves in the company and that's um, I suppose that's the point that uh, Roger was making that uh, a lot of people are simply uh, self-insuring. Um, okay, we'll keep an eye on how this is uh, going to pan out and uh, keep coming back to it as we go through. Um, let's move on to the predictions. You were asked to come up with some predictions for 2021. Um, Roger, what's your thinking? Well, um, yes, I, I suppose I have some predictions and maybe some advice as well, but I, 
the prediction side is very difficult because we're clearly at the moment we're in this very difficult uh, moment where the pandemic is not over businesses are really hurting and that there's tremendous pain but then when we get you know kind of to the post-vaccination period how will we kind of emerge going forward could I, I could see it going either way I mean there's there's going to be scarring from this crisis. You know, there's a lot of debt which companies have built up. There's, the, of course, the public debt as well. Um, so that is, and then I sincerely hope that the government doesn't even think about raising business taxes. But I fear that it may, it may do, because there will, there will be that pressure on them to do that. So that's all rather, rather sort of pessimistic. But I think against that, there are some positive things to think about as well. Actually, if, if we've been looking at the data on how much savings on average uh, consumers have, so retail deposits in banks, and they are significantly higher now. I mean, we, we, we've estimated that the average family of four has £12,500 more in retail deposits than they did at the start of the, the crisis. So, you know, if the, the confidence was there, if the animal spirits were there and that started to be spent, you could see that actually having a very positive effect on the economy. You could, I mean, you can see at the moment, can't you, the way the housing market is still very, very robust. The stock market is robust. Government is pumping a lot of money into the economy through QE, which, you know, really should continue to do, quite frankly. Um, if those th things come together, actually, um, things could, could actually move ahead economically quite a, a build up of quite robustly yeah a build up of money it's, it's like a demand yeah it's, 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 demand. i mean where do you spend your money if you've got it i mean leaving aside the report earlier this week that there are a lot of people who are actually finding it more expensive to be at home because of heating costs um care costs and that, that sort of thing um most of us have been sitting here wondering when we can next go down the pub and that money goes in the piggy bank and and as you say there is a build up and it could be that at some stage people will eventually get free of the virus and, and start going out and spending. Um, but you also need for companies to go out and spend. You do. We are notorious in this country for not investing. Love cheap labour. Don't want to know about investing in technology. Yes. And a lot of it, I think, you know, it, it comes down to that intangible confidence that, you know, that company, our companies and consumers, are they just going to sit on that money, save it, be prudent, um, or are they actually going to go out and invest, spend? And it's it's really, that's a jo huge job, I think, for government. You know, the, the government have got to create the conditions to create that confidence, which just gets all of us moving forward. Just words, confidence, trust. Mm -hmm. You've used them in two different contexts this morning, but really... Uh, that is a lot of what it is about. I mean, I know there will be a lot of small businesses out there listening, saying, well, hang on a minute, we haven't got any money to invest. But what we need is the bigger businesses to invest in them and their skills in order to get them back into uh, the rebuild of the economy. Doug, yes. what, what are you thinking? Are you, are you agreeing that it's really hard to um, predict? Well, um... As an ex-politician and a Falkirk football supporter, I gave up predicting things a long time ago. Um, but I, if I was to um, veer away from my norm on this, I, I think it, I, I agree essentially with what Roger said. I, I think it's going to be a bumpy ride. 
um, because things are changing so quickly. Um, and if you think back to what you felt last June, you weren't sure whether there'd be a second wave. Um, you didn't expect there to be any lockdown. You thought if there was a second wave, it would be much more, um, it'd be less severe than the first wave. Um, and by then the economy would be recovering. Well, the economy did recover in the, um, significantly in the third quarter. Um, but if you think what you thought then and apply the same analysis now, I think you'd come up with the answer, I don't know. Um, there are just too many unknowns. And uh, I always remember when I studied economics, um, I tried to get my head around this idea of expectations, which at that time was Milton Friedman and the monetarist view on macro policy. And eventually I did get it round, and without agreeing with the, um, the, the policies of, of Milton Friedman, I began to understand the importance of expectations. And in the, the role I now have, where I, I, I'm now a non-exec director of our company, but I was until December the finance director and the HR director. And I began to realize when I took up that role about 10 years ago, um, the importance of expectations at a practical level as well as at a theoretical level. And I think that's where we are. It's all about expectations. And we've seen how quickly the money markets change in relation to that. But my, my, that would be my first prediction, that it's going to be bumpy. Um, though I do agree that the, mm. the, the circumstances should be there for a recovery um, well into the autumn. But I think what it makes it so difficult is the, how different different parts of our economy are faring. You know, yeah. a lot of large companies are actually, you know, doing very well. They've tapped into capital markets, the stock market and, and other sources of fundings, which they're, they're sitting on plenty of plenty of cash. And, and certain sectors, of course, are doing very well. But the pain is all concentrated in smaller companies, in particularly in certain sectors, hospitality, retail and so on. So the question, what makes it so difficult is, you know, what's the net effects on the, on the economy as, as a whole? Of the sort of of the pain and and the and the positive side of things, you know, it, it's sort of that's what makes it so complex. Well, that um, leads me to my second prediction, which is in that in that that vein. I think that the country and the government have a long way to go to regain the confidence of the small business sector. I think the small business sector, and and it's a difficult sector to define. The European Union calls the small business sector a company that employs up to 250 people. Um, you, they, they face a different situation from someone who um, is a member of the organization that, that Simon used to work for Ipsy, where they're often single sole traders, but within a company um, a, a constitution. Um, and, and they're all called small business and, and they all have a, 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 different, a different experience. And I, I think that the small business um, group of people right across that spectrum have felt badly let down. They've used a lot of their reserves to stay in business. Without the furlough scheme, the country would have huge levels of unemployment and economic devastation on a scale we've never seen before in the last four or five centuries. And so I, I think we've got to regain the confidence of, of that group of people. And we've, we've got to We've got to give them the tools to recover. Though I'm not one of these people who say that the government can decide everything and make it work. I don't believe that for a moment. 
I think you rely on the small business, um, the resilience of small business people um, to, to, to drive your economy in, in many ways. And that would be my third prediction, that, that the small business sector is resilient and providing the rest of us in the community and the government don't wreck our economy. I think there is a good chance that the small business sector will make a recovery. Whether it does it this year or it takes longer, I think remains to be seen. Um, well, again, that's an optimistic point that, that you're making there, but I, I just want to bring in Tracy. But one of the figures that struck in my head from this morning was, uh, I know, Mickey, <laughs> you think we should drop the GDP figures, but 9.9% uh, fall in the service sector. And the service sector is makes up about three quarters of our economy. So, you know, given what you were saying, of course, production oh, percent but remember, manufacturing hasn't done quite as badly. And I was just going to ask Tracy in the in the manufacturing production sector, uh, what you know, what's your predictions? Well, I'm going to be pretty optimistic. Good. Cautious, cautiously optimistic, I think would be better. And and, and you know, and, and I'm from Yorkshire, so head down and get on with it. Uh, but generally, in in the manufacturing sector in our region it's been very buoyant and we're starting to see things pick up certainly in the last uh six weeks things are really inquiries are starting to come through much better we're starting to get longer term contracts and that's just not my company uh it, it seems to be across the board and because of that i feel much more optimistic than i did say in october we, we were hit very hard uh, by the infection rate uh, in, in certainly in the Leeds City region, and we so we've been in this wretched lockdown for a long time, but we seem to have adapted quite well. Uh, um, there's certainly been a massive uptake, bizarrely, uh, in digital manufacturers are usually uh, you know synonymous for not investing in that, uh, but we are uh, now, and uh, there's a lot of. Uh, uptake about around digital technology and becoming more efficient. Um, I think if we can get through the next few months, you're quite right, Doug, it's going to be incredibly bumpy. There's going to be uh, lots of uh, lots of turns before we get through it. But I think that the underlying uh, prediction would be positive. Tracy, just a, a quick question. That uh, it's Declan here. Uh, that uh, rise in hello. That rise in uh, orders in manufacturing is that a, a short-term thing because companies were stockpiling ahead of the end of the transition period, or is this the the seeds of a longer recovery? Do you think? It feels to me like the seeds of a longer recovery. We, well, that's we good that. news, isn't it? Yeah, it is because we saw in the you know in the. In previously, people stockpiling. We saw that. that. That's not what's happened this time. I think the stockpile, certainly in, in my sector, the stockpiling happened once. It was ineffective and uh, nobody was prepared to do that again. Um, it, it feels like there is a longer term. People are looking at their strategies going forward for the next three years. They're starting to, to, to sort of this might be our new norm. God forbid it is. It might be. So we have to adapt to that. And I feel that that's what is starting to happen. It's also, also worth remembering that you're talking about the split between servicing and manufacturing. Manufacturing is enclosed 
therefore it's, it's able better to cope with the restrictions as far as COVID is concerned. Right. When you're in a service company, if it's where you go cleaning at a, 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 an old people's home or a hospital, or you have a restaurant that's been closed down, there's more interface. That makes business much more difficult. And that's where the service companies are getting hit. And that's why they're seeing such a downturn. It's not just about economics. It's about the fact that they can do their day-to-day -day business. Yeah. And, and, and I think we adapted pretty well in manufacturing to making sure our sites were COVID, as COVID controlled as it can be. Um, and, and I think we're very lucky in that respect um, that we were able to do that. I completely, you're quite right, Mickey. We don't have, you know, we don't have any external visitors on site now. We've, you know, we can restrict as, as much as we can do. Um, and, and to that extent, there has been an element of luck, but it feels, you talked about resilience, Doug, and it does feel as though there is, uh, the last months have um, increased our resilience. And, you know, I talk from the SME sector and uh, we're more flexible. We're more willing to move. We can, I think the one thing we've, we've learned and, and it's been a hard lesson is to make decisions quickly and move with them and, 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 and yeah. be, be on top of what's happening, uh, you know, and, and, and be ready to move if we need to. Well, Tracy, there is that saying, isn't there? You know, what doesn't destroy you makes you stronger. And that's, I think, those that have survived, those, those that are making it through are, are stronger as a result. And they probably have higher levels of productivity. You know, they've, they've introduced all sorts of improvements, you know, to, to respond to the crisis. The problem is, though, of course, is that, um, you know, there are some that are being destroyed. You know, it's not making them stronger, unfortunately. So it's, you, you're kind of in one or the other group. Yeah, and I think to some extent, you're, you know, this has been luck, hasn't it? You know, lucky to be in manufacturing, we're able to do it. You know, I God forbid if I was in Sorry, sorry, Tracy. I think what, I don't know if it's your experience, but one of the calculations that most businesses are making at the moment is is that is trading going to be about the same as it was in lockdown one, or is it going to be worse than lockdown one, or not as severe as lockdown one? And until you've got some evidence of that, it's really difficult to um, make decisions on staffing um, or, or, or which clients you think you can rely on um, and so on. And I think that's a, it's a very difficult issue. And I think the smaller the company, the more difficult it is because if, if you're out fixing central heating systems during the day, you don't have an awful lot of time to think about these issues. Mm. I, th I think that, right. you know, I think that the, there is of course one group which I think, especially as we're going into renewed lockdown and sort of continuation of pain for some time, that we still have to help, which is the limited company directors, you know, who who haven't haven't received any kind of support. And I was I was actually very heartened actually yesterday to see that the Northern Ireland government have just introduced a support screen, uh, scheme for the directors of limited companies. And I mean, it's. It's not big money. I think they're supporting directors up to £50,000 in terms of their annual income of dividends plus, plus pay. But, you know, I really hope that other regions of the UK, um, the other devolved nations, now see that as an example and actually introduce something like that across the UK because Northern Ireland have shown that it, it can be done. Yeah, and it certainly would help. You're absolutely right, Roger, and, the, and, and, and there is the, the, 
there is an element that, that especially in SMEs, that they've been missed out. Um, but I, I genuinely feel that at the moment, and we are at the beginning of this new lockdown, that it doesn't feel like lockdown one. Lockdown one felt very different. It was all new territory. We had uh, no experience of, of what everything was due, what, what we were going to do or how we were going to react. Now we have a, almost, we've done it once. We recognize the problems of lockdown one and are trying to um, mitigate those uh, as well as we can. Um, and, and it feels like business, there is a, an appetite to get things back to normal, to some way of trading normally. It feels very strong. Um, and, and my customers are certainly looking forward now. Whereas in lockdown one, it, we dropped off a cliff. Um, that hasn't happened this time. So that gives me the cautious optimism, I feel. Let's um, talk about dropping off a cliff. Let's see if we can bring <laughs> Mystic McVicker. Ah. to our equation there. <laughs> can you Simon. hear me now? Is that... Oh, Simon, I, I was... You can hear me now. Yeah. I, I don't know why my um, my headphones seem to have gone faulty. But, uh, yes, all very interesting. I mean, Tracy, I, I, I'm interested in what you said there. I mean, obviously, uh, service sector of the economy, especially in retail and entertainment, is facing disaster at the moment. And, and, and that is simply not going to come back very easily. And there seems to be no end in sight that there are lockdown problems. So, I mean, the economy is going to be very mixed. But on my predictions for the year, which are going to be slightly wider than the economy, politically, I do think the economy is a major problem for Johnson. And I do feel that it will, as the year goes on, get more of a problem for him, because I think a lot of the vital constituencies that usually support the Conservative Party will get more and more discontented. And I think he's going to get a thrashing in the local elections. My prediction, number one, is that Boris will leave the scene at the end of the year in one way or another, whether it is willingly or whether he is slowly pushed out. Uh, I mean, I know quite a few Black Tory MPs, and he is not a popular man, even in good times. So... He's living on, on, on borrowed time. My second prediction is there will, there will be a new special relationship in 2021, but it's going to be between President Biden and the European Union. And I think uh, Biden is much more pro-European than most presidents we've seen in our time. And he's going to particularly build a good relationship with Germany, who he thinks is the key economy in the European Union. France will be important because of the military side, but he feels spiritually, of course, and ancestrally, he feels Irish. And so, you know, the Irish thing will make him think he's European. And I think it'll leave the UK out in the cold. In Simon, the there's, there's a big difference between having a strong relationship with the EU, i.e. France and Germany, and all the rubbish that goes with it. Um, He's well, not going to be I mean, too America impressed with that. America doesn't have to worry about that rubbish. You know, if they buy the Mercedes cars in the numbers that Americans want, the EU is going to do business with them. And my third uh, prediction is some good news. Because I do believe, like Tracy says, it's not going to be all bad news. And there are going to be sectors of the economy do, doing well. And one that is jumping out at me, uh, just looking at stats, 
is the pet industry. I mean, this industry is booming at the moment. It's already, uh, it's gone up about 2 billion in two years in value to the economy. I mean, there was a trend before lockdown for millennials, especially to buy pets. Um, that has increased during 2020. And there's something like 11 million cats and 10 million dogs at the, um, as pets at the moment. Do you know why it's, uh, it's flourishing, Simon? Because of the well, insurance companies. Well, I think... Um, We've all traded subject. up to what they but pay out. And that's there there are an awful funding. lot of small businesses in the pet industry, whether they're groomers, design callers, sell food. And I think that that industry is going to do really, really well in 2021. So um, yeah, it's not all bad news. Well, Simon, given your two dogs, <laughs> uh, Mickey's got dogs, I've got a dog and a cat, and probably just about everybody else on the team have got pets. I think you may have hit the nail on the head. Uh, can I was just that, ask... Was that a statement on behalf ask, sorry, of Simon's dogs? Was that a statement on behalf of Simon's dogs? No, but I did thought they, it was relevant. Did, did they, Simon's did, 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 did they, did they make you read this out like a hostage video? <laughs> well, I tell you, those dogs have eaten better than any human during the pandemic. <laughs> um, I'm very glad you're back with us, Simon. My prediction is if we don't get the technology right and we don't get the technological infrastructure right, we're going to slow down the recovery because you know, we're so dependent on technology. Liz, we need to get online, but small small firms need to operate online and the technology isn't living up to it. Liz, that is a really key point. The UK tech um, infrastructure in technology needs to get a lot better. Um, and I want to ask Tracy in particular, um, the, the team, the team they all laugh at me because I constantly get on about skills and retraining, but are we going to have the right skills, Tracy, for companies like yours to play their part in pulling us out of this recession? Yeah, I think, and we talk about the skills gap, and yes, it, it, it is real, but I think we're doing a lot of work with colleges and further education to make sure that those skills are relevant. Um, I think that there will be, there was talk of uh, when we adopt all this digital technology, then we won't need operatives. We will, just in a different form. And actually, these, the young people that are coming through now are much more equipped to deal with the digital technology that we're adopting. So, you know, once again, we, we need to play our part as well. Instead of moaning about the being skills gap, identify what they are and help further education to deliver that. Doug, I think you wanted to come in. No, I was just saying that a, a good investment would be to invest in pri um, private dog homes. Yes, uh, <laughs> yes. I, um, I was going to talk to you about that. <laughs> don't don't wind Simon up anymore. <laughs> we haven't had any barking on this podcast yet. Um, so, Doug, um, a kind of a final a final thought from you. This time next year, when we're sitting here and we'll we'll get you all together again, what are we going to be say has what are we going to be saying has worked really well in the last 12 months? I know you don't like making predictions. Put your, put your head on the block. <laughs> well, I, I, I think we'll say that there have been a, a lot of changes in, the, in, in our economy, more and more, and, and that COVID has sort of emphasised or, or 
um, given momentum to trends that were there before COVID, things like working at home, um, think, things like consequential effects on the transport industry, um, a, a rethink of education and, and to what extent it is virtual. Um, the, these kind of changes, I think, we'll be able to observe. Um, shopping, retail will change, it has already changed dramatically, and I think we, we can expect more changes. Um, and, and I think by next year, the, the next January, things will be obvious on, on these trends, but I may be wrong, who knows? Prediction is a dangerous game. I think perhaps, Tracy, what, what about you? What do you think they'll be saying in 12 months' time? I think we are going, we're adopting, you know, this whole thing about digital technology. I think it will, I think it's going to push the um, investment through, you know, digital infrastructure. I think we're going to be, you know, again, we're going to be a stronger economy for it. So no. I am still going to be incredibly positive. <laughs> I'm very, very glad to Good hear for that. You. That's why we like you, Tracy. Yes. <laughs> that's, why, that's why we would be inviting you back. Um, I think we've lost, unfortunately, lost no. uh, Roger. Roger. No, oh, I'm Isaiah, back. Isaiah. Oh, brilliant. I'm back. What, so my, my hope is that we've switched the byword of business from resilience to now agility. You know, thinking global, Brexit, you may not agree with it, but it's happened, it's a reality. Let's make, let's make the most of it. And my second hope is that those people that are now losing, sadly losing their jobs, the business goes out there and grabs the talent and retrains them um, and, and to, to take advantage, to take advantage of this situation and take advantage of, of the new, new opportunities. And um, so those are, those are my two hopes. My final hope is that we will have mastered technology and also the, the art of a bit of nice small talk in Zoom calls, because, yes. you know, we're, we, I think it, it's de we desperately need that, you know, that that bit of banter, which is so, you know, obvious on this programme, but which is probably not so obvious on many Zoom calls I take part in, you know, it's 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 essential to motivate people, you motivate staff, you know, in, and we just miss that from from the not having the office environment. You just need to hang out with better people, Roger. I should, yes. I'm making poor staffing decisions. Yes. Reopen the pub. Yeah. Roger, Roger, agility was was always the watchword for, for British business, wasn't it? It, it, yeah, I think, and business is tremendously adaptable. And I think, uh, you know, you hear sometimes, you, you know, especially, I suppose, trade bodies like like my own, you know, we, we're complaining and we're saying there's this problem and that problem. And when we have the end of transition period, there's going to be all this bureaucracy. You know, we have to point out these issues, but businesses themselves will adapt to the situation that is in their DNA. And, uh, you know, long may that continue. Um, I would just love to be, um, and I am predicting that this time next year we'll all be together. Uh, we'll keep trying to make the banter <laughs> work <laughs> in the meantime. Uh, but uh, Doug Henderson, Roger Barker and Tracy Dawson, uh, thank you ever so much. You've been absolutely brilliant. Um, Mickey, we haven't heard your predictions. My predictions? I'm just praying I'm still going to be here. Um, <laughs> you know, the one thing that COVID done is chucked up. Everyone's now aware of how, how old they are, what their age is. And I think with this lockdown, unlike the first lockdown, we're acutely aware that it's impacting on us a lot more than it did the first time around. I stood in a muddy field this morning with the dogs 
and two ladies were there with their dogs and both of them were recovering from COVID. They only live a few doors down the road. Um, so you, you start to, to realise just how dangerous this has become. And if we do bounce back, the other thing is I wanted to make Declan talking about the economy. Um, some of the most bullish forecasts we've had from the, about the economy have come from the Bank of England. Now, I've not seen anything to suggest they've changed their mind. So I thought for 2021, back in business could get a successful economist on from the Bank of England. And I did look, but I couldn't find one. So perhaps it's something we should stress, you know, go for in 2021. Try and find a successful Bank of England economist, one who gets the forecast right. Isn't that an oxymoron? Yes. Oh. <laughs> very, very careful. Very careful. We've got we've got a very successful economist on the Zoom call. We only have we only have successful economists. <laughs> the, it, the the Bank of England's an interesting one to watch because it's there's been a, a bit of a schism there uh, in terms of the shape of the economy as they describe in the Monetary Policy Committee, which sets interest rates and the state of the economy as described by their own chief economist. And at various important points during this year, those two things have not lined not up. Married and, the chief, up no. and, and the chief economist has been far more buoyant than the economy has actually turned out. Yeah. And you wonder, has that had an impact on policy and has it been detrimental to policy? And if you ever interview somebody from the Bank of England, as you, you've done and I've done, um, you'll know that it's like trying to grab hold of mist. Um, their arguments drift <laughs> mm. with the weather. Um, it, I know forecasting I is difficult. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, forecasting is difficult. We'll all agree that. But some of them have got it so far wrong, it's unbelievable. Mickey, I, I know you and technology are, are sometimes uncomfortable bedfellows, but I did see this week uh, a piece of technology that would gladden even your stone heart. This is uh, unveiled, uh, unveiled at the uh, CES at Las Vegas. It's a Japanese robot that serves you a nice glass of wine, then takes the glass away afterwards and puts it in the dishwasher without breaking it. Also unveiled at the, uh, at the technology show, an intelligent lavatory that gives you health tips and warnings uh, by monitoring your pulse and blood pressure. And also, and forgive me if you're eating what I tell you this, analyzing stool samples while you're still sat. I could do pot. with one of them, Declan. I could do <laughs> with one of them. If I had one of those, I'd never get off it. <laughs> oh my God. I think <laughs> I think we have to, I think we have to stop there before this conversation <laughs> deteriorates into toilet humor completely. <laughs> it's privy to all your secrets. Ah. <laughs> okay guys, thank you ever ever so much. Um, Tracy, thank you for being with me. Otherwise, I'd been completely outnumbered. Uh, Roger, Roger, uh, congratulations on your new post at the IOD, and I uh, hope you have a great 12 months. Doug, thank you for joining us for the first time, and I hope not for the last time. And to the team, Declan, Simon, Mickey, and of course, the team behind the scenes, we've got Harry, Ben, George and Ollie. And uh, we hopefully will see you all next week because next week we start our tour around UK cities looking at their future. We'll be in Cardiff virtually, of course. We'll be talking to people about what the future looks like for the city and the small business people at the heart of it. And in the meantime, catch up with all our other podcasts, etc. on backinbusiness.org.uk. See you next week. Bye.